Good evening. Um, if you could grab a Bible, that would be really helpful. We're going to be um, looking at the Bible together and also an outline. Uh, if you've got one of those near you too, that might be helpful. Well, I know some of, you, some of you will be new tonight to Real Food and new to this series. So let me just recap what we're doing and uh, why we're doing it um, over these series of talks. Um, this term, we're thinking about a really foundational topic. Um, how can we, as human beings, know the God of this universe? Um, it's hard to think of a topic more important than that, isn't it? How can we get to know God? Uh, some of you might be familiar with this uh, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, um, where the question is asked, what is man's chief end? In other words, what is the reason for our existence? And the answer is this, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In order to glorify God and in order to enjoy God, we have to know God, don't we? We have to know what he's like and therefore we need him to make himself known to us. So throughout this series, we've been thinking, um, how does God make himself known? And we've sort of been pouring cement into the foundations so that we, be, we can be confident in the Bible as the place where we can come to know God. That's crucial for our knowledge of God and our ability to glorify God. It's also really important as we think about Christian ministry. Now, what is our ministry going to be about as Christian people? Is it going to be about the word of God? Um, if God has chosen to reveal himself through his word, then we'll make our ministry about his word as well. So this is a really fundamental topic. It's a foundational topic. Um, but because of that, it's also a challenging topic, I think, for us to hear. We all have foundations, don't we, upon which we're building our lives. And like the foundations of a building, we often don't think about what those foundations are. And they sort of lie under the surface. Now, we get a bit of a, a preview, don't we, outside in the building project about the foundations that are going to be laid. But normally we don't see them um, in a building. And it's a very destructive thing and a hard thing to tear down foundations and to rebuild new ones. That takes time. That takes effort. And it's worth thinking about that as we come to our own um, sort of foundations in the Christian life, our theological foundations, because we all have these things that we're building our lives upon. And some of them will be good and from God, and some of them will be shaky and need tearing down and rebuilding. And so this topic will both strengthen the foundations, but it will also expose those that are false, removing them, and replacing them. That can be difficult, can't it? It can be, be difficult to think, I've been living my life based on something that I shouldn't have been, and I need to change my life and rethink things. That's a painful thing. I remember going through that process as a student, but it's worth it. So I want to encourage you to stick with it and relay foundations uh, based on God's word. That's what we, want to, what we want to do during this series. Now, so far in this series, we've really just made one simple point, and it's this. We need God to reveal himself to us. Hopefully you've got that if you've been here during this series. We need God's revelation. We need him to take the initiative and make himself known to us, his people. And that is what God has done by his grace. Are we familiar with this diagram yet? Uh, if you've been here for the past uh, few weeks, we've tried to get clear on this by just examining different ways that we can uh, come to a knowledge of God. And we've thought about uh, experience. You know, is it our experiences that mean we can access God and get to know who he's, who he's like? 
Is it tradition? You know, going back and thinking, what was the uh, history of uh, Christianity taught about God? Is that the primary way we get to know God? Um, Or is it by reason? So using our own intellect to think, what do I think God is like as I examine the world that he has made? Well, all of those things have a place in the Christian life. You know, we're thinking this morning about experiencing, tasting that the Lord is good. That's an experience, isn't it? Um, We do experience the Lord's goodness. We do need to use our minds to understand him. We do need to think what Christians have taught during the past um, in tradition. But the key thing, the main authority that we've been building this series on is this idea of revelation. The point of contact between God and man is him revealing himself to us in his word. And that's fundamental to understanding the Christian life. That's foundational to our lives as believers. So we've defined, um, again, just by way of recap, we've defined Christianity in this way during this series. The word of God bringing about faith in Christ by the spirit of God. The word of God bringing about faith in Christ by the spirit of God. And there's the recap. Hopefully that's um, some familiar stuff to you if you've been here the past few weeks or helpful if you're if you're new tonight. Now, if if all that is the case, if all that's true, then um, we need to ask, where do we think the devil might attack Christianity? Where might he be most determined to attack Christianity? Well, it's going to be here, isn't it, on the doctrine of Scripture and our understanding of the Bible. This is where the pressure is going to be for Christians. And really, that's been where the pressure has been throughout church history. It's been how do we treat the Bible. How do we think of the Bible? This brings us to our first heading, the word under attack. We're going to see that from the very beginning, the word has been under attack. So uh, do uh, turn in the Bible to Genesis chapter three, uh, first book of the Bible. So just a few pages in Genesis chapter three. Now, just these are just three chapters in the Bible, but they're so important for understanding the Christian life. They teach us about God. They teach us about humanity. They teach us about this creation. They teach us about the purpose for why we're here. Um, they teach us about our identity. Um, I can't remember who, it, who said this, but somebody described Genesis 1 to 3 as the first half of the Bible. And then, then you get the rest, um, by which they were saying these are foundational for our understanding of um, the Christian life. And here in Genesis 3, we get the unravelling that explains why our world is like it is. So have a look at Genesis 3, and we'll start in verse 1, as we see uh, our first sort of subheading, Doubting God's Word. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say... I'm going to stop there for a moment um, before we see how he finishes the sentence, because although those words sound innocent enough, those four words are all it takes to set off this avalanche of sin that will uh, spread across our whole world. Did God really say? Now, we've seen in Genesis chapter one and two, if you were to look back, that hearing and obeying God's word is what it means to be human, is at the heart of what it means to be human. So just by asking this question, did God really say, really marks the beginning of the end. Because instead of obeying God's word, the woman is invited to begin to sit in judgment over God's word and uh, set and be the arbiter for what is right and wrong. 
But there's more in the serpent's opening question, because as well as inviting the woman to doubt God's word, he actually distorts the word of God as he asks the question. So let's carry on um, in verse one. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, in one sentence, the serpent is uh, destroying the lavish generosity of God and distorting it. Because I don't know if you, if you know, but if you just look back at chapter 2, verse 16, have a look at chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God there commands the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. You see, lavish generosity of the Lord God. And there's only one tree that they're not to eat from. God didn't say what the serpent quotes him as saying. The serpent is a liar. He's crafty. He wants to undermine the goodness of God. And even as the woman tries to put the matter straight, she's drawn into this game. And now she quotes God's word back to him with her own distortion. Have a look at verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, God has not said anything about touching um, the tree. The woman has added to his command. So we started to see, aren't we, just in the space of a couple of verses, this slippery slope that started from the serpent questioning God's word. Doubting God's word leads to distorting God's word. And yet the serpent is only just getting going because now is the time to go for an out and out denial and rejection of what God has said. Have a look at verse four. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the serpent has already said that God is not as lavish and not as good as he really is. Now he causes them to doubt that they're not as free as they think they are. He openly attacks God's motive for the one rule that he's given to the man and the woman. Now it's worth reflecting on this strategy because as we read this, it just feels immensely relevant, I think, to uh, Satan's strategy today, but also throughout church history. His method of attack usually begins with the questioning of the word of God. Did God really say that? Could he have really said that if he was a a good God? Surely not. Surely he wouldn't have said those words. Or maybe people might say, well, it's actually hard to know what God has said, because after all, the Bible is so old and it was written in different languages and it's been translated many times. So really, it's actually impossible to know what God has really said. You see how that sort of doubting is still prevalent um, today, this kind of thinking that we see here in Genesis 3. But just listen to how Jesus describes the devil in uh, John chapter 8. Is this on the sheet? John 8, um, verse 44. Jesus says of Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies devil is a liar that means that he is against God's word of truth and that's why we must be suspicious of anything that claims to be a form of Christianity that doesn't have the word of God as its center point whatever else is said whether it's good or bad however nice people are however genuine they seem if the word of God has been removed from the center or distorted or sidelined or questioned or revised 
then we can be sure that the devil has been at work to distort the truth of God's word and to cast doubt on, on God's character. The devil doesn't want us to believe the Bible because he knows that that is the weapon that is sure to defeat him. So he's going to try everything to throw us off course. Well, what effect does all this have on uh, the woman here? Um, well, it has the effect that Satan wants. His lie, which comes from outside the woman, creates this response of unbelief and mistrust in her heart. And the same is true of Adam, who's standing next to her at this moment. They doubt God's word. They're overtaken by evil and they turn their back on God's good uh, commands. Now we need to see, as human beings do this, as Adam and Eve do this and turn their back on God's word, this is actually a, an attack on God himself, isn't it? It's not, God's word is not just outside of him as something separate to him. This is a part of, of who he is. And so to doubt his word means to doubt God, and to treat God's word like this means to treat God like this. If we fight against God's word, we're revealing a heart that is raging against him. And this is what Satan wants. He wants to shift our confidence from the Bible. He wants to draw us away from the goodness and the authority of God's word. I think it's worth having our eyes open to that reality, isn't it? What we're going to do now as we turn to our second point is to consider some of the ways that this has happened over the years. Some of the different ways of viewing the Bible that have subtly or very clearly shifted the focus away from its authority. We're going to think about the Bible under attack. There's a space, uh, there's some boxes down the sheet. We're going to put some diagrams on the screen um, at various points and you can fill, you can fill those in. Now it's important, isn't it, as we get clear on what we believe... At the same time, we need to get clear on what we don't believe. And I think those two things always come side by side. To say one thing is true is also to say that something else isn't true. And so this is what we're going to do for the next few minutes. We're going to think about some wrong ways of approaching the Bible that may have filtered down into our, into our thinking. So the first one is this, uh, and we might call it Bible inadequate. So let me explain uh, what's going on here. This is the assumption that puts human reason over... God's revelation, and it's generally led to this uh, movement called liberalism. Liberalism, you might know, emerged from the Enlightenment, which was a 200-year period where, basically, all forms of authority were questioned, um, and the only sort of basis of authority was, was something that is scientific and empirically provable. And so it sees itself, liberalism, as reforming the basic presuppositions of Christianity in the light of modern research and developments. Let me, let me put that more simply. Liberalism believes that Christianity must adapt or die. And it's especially important to understand how this view views the authority of the Bible. Because reason is so important in this worldview, it is therefore suspicious of any claim to the supernatural. God operates, if he does at all, in and through the normal laws of nature, not through things that are supernatural. So therefore, there, there cannot be any direct revelation from, from God, because that would be anti-rational. And so the Bible occupies a low place in liberal thinking. You might ask, if that's the case, if that's their view of the Bible, why do liberal theologians still appeal to the Bible? Why do they still read it and talk about it? Well, I think the answer is the Bible is appreciated as a record of human religious thought. Perhaps for some, it's also a record of God's activity. 
But people also believe that it's being distorted over time and that the people who wrote the Bible have their own biases and superstitions that has been warped, uh, that has warped the original message. So the aim in this view is to use the Bible to get back to what actually happened before it was distorted by those who interpreted and, and wrote the Bible. Does that sort of make sense? Sort of what, what, what lies hidden behind the text of Scripture that has been mediated through the text and distorted through the text? So it's basically a reconstruction of events that removes the supernatural from them. And so I think, you know, we might hear this nowadays in um, statements like this, which I think we probably need to be suspicious of. You know, things like, what really happened back in the Bible's day was dot, dot, dot. Or, no, 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 that, that's, not, that's not what actually happened there in the Bible. No, what, what really happened is dot, dot, dot. You know, that kind of line of reasoning, um, I think, is what we're, what we're talking about here. Sees the Bible as inadequate. So that's the first sort of wrong, wrong view that we need to be aware of. The second is uh, Bible minus. Now in the 1930s onwards, there was a strong reaction against liberalism in some Christian circles. And especially significant in this were three German men uh, with, with surnames beginning with B. Here they are. Karl Barth, Emil Brunner and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, you might assume if they're critical of liberalism, then does that make them friends with evangelicalism? Um, but not necessarily. I think it's good to remember that our enemy's enemy is not always our friend. And I think it's worth saying there are things that we can learn from theologians like, like these men. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one uh, that I've learned a great deal from and have benefited from. Um, but at the same time, we need to be aware that they share some of the presuppositions of the Enlightenment and actually a different view of the Bible's authority. They don't hold that the Bible is without error and they would be reluctant to identify the Bible as the word of God. That would be something that would be uh, something they wouldn't want to say. So how do they differ from liberal theologians that we've just been thinking about? Well, the difference is that while they have a lower view of the Bible than evangelicals do, they do have a high view of the revelation that God has given in the past. So they see this revelation as coming from God in a direct, supernatural way sometime in the past. And the revelation from God that they focus on is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus Christ coming into the world, revealing what God is like. That's where the revelation of God appeared uh, according to these theologians and the bible is just a record of that revelation rather than the bible being the revelation of god in and of itself um, so here's a diagram to uh, represent that so you've got revelation on the left hand side that's the white uh, circle there that's where god has revealed himself in the past in history in the person of jesus and that revelation is then sort of mediated to us through the bible but the Bible itself is not the revelation, it's just a commentary on it. Does that make sense? So again, there's a desire to get back to the past and to work out what was going on in the past. And the Bible is sort of a means, a means to an end. Okay, third one we're going to consider is um, Bible Plus. Now, there are lots of churches, there are lots of movements that have in common the search for a deeper experience of God a deeper, more immediate, more personal knowledge of God outside of the Bible. 
And the problem, again, is not um, ex with experience. And I think, again, this morning was, was helpful uh, to, to remind ourselves of that. As Christians, we do experience the love of God. We know his love for us. We do have joy in Jesus. We do taste that the Lord is good. So we're not wanting to say that we're anti-experience. But the problem is we can often disconnect our experiences from the word of God and pursue experiences outside of, of the Bible. So here's a quote from Nicky Gumbel, which represents this. Um, he's the author of the Alpha Course, uh, which has been hugely popular, used by God all over the world. Um, listen to what he says uh, in this quote. Our relationship with God is two-way. We speak to him in prayer and he speaks to us in many ways especially through the Bible. Now we can see from this quote that he doesn't want to do away with the Bible. Um, he does see it as the most important source of revelation, but it's just one of many ways, isn't it, that God uh, speaks to us and that we can experience him. And I think that is reflected in some of the, uh, the Alpha Course, which I uh, grew up with. Um, it climaxes in a weekend where uh, people experience the Holy Spirit in a in a new way and in a different way that is actually separated, I think, from, from the Bible. Um, here's how we can put it in, in the diagram. This is for you to, for, to draw on the sheet. God communicates to us through the Bible. That's what people uh, think who hold this view. But he also makes himself known in lots of other ways directly to us, visions, experiences, and so on. Now, this is my understanding of Christianity uh, from, for many years. And... I think what ended up happening to me, and I, I don't want to say that my experience will be the same as everybody's experience by any means, but what, hap what I, thought, I think happened to me is that those more direct, personal experiences of God became the things that were most important to me in the Christian life. And the Bible became a smaller and smaller authority in a smaller and smaller corner of my Christian life. I don't know whether anybody uh, will resonate with that experience but the basic thing here is the bible is disconnected uh, from other experiences of god and often those experiences are then sought after rather than um, hearing from god in the bible well, this brings us to our uh, final diagram and to what we might call uh, evangelical christianity and if you don't know if you're not familiar with that word evangelical uh, it comes from the greek word evangel which is uh, the word gospel or good news um, so that's where that word comes from. Um, and this is the Christianity that was rediscovered at the time of the 16th century Reformation in Europe, if you know that. And it's something worth fighting for today. This is the view that instead of saying we need to see through the Bible to get back to the original revelation of God. Here we're saying that the revelation is the very words of the Bible themselves. So yes, God revealed himself in the person of Jesus in the past. We're definitely saying that. That was a, a revelation of God. But how does he make himself known to us today? He makes himself known to us in the pages of the Bible. Um, the American theologian B.B. Warfield. I'm going to use his big name, which is Benjamin Brecken, Breckenridge Warfield. Breckenridge. I don't think you hear that name much. Um, he said this, what scripture says, God says. What scripture says, God says, I find that just a really stark way of, of thinking about it. And something that um, those other theologians earlier wouldn't say, what scripture says, 
God says. Every word of it has been breathed out by God, inspired by him. That means the historical facts, the genealogies, the poems, the biographical details, the ands, the buts, the therefores. Um, every word and phrase and detail has been spoken by God. It's not merely a record of God's revelation in the past. It is God's revelation to us now. It's not just that God has spoken in the past. He speaks today. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Brings the word of God to us and says, today we're hearing God speak. Let me just read you a quote from uh, this book, Christianity and Liberalism, by... J. Gresham Machen, and I found this quote helpful as I read it earlier. He says, The Christian person finds in the Bible the very word of God. Let it not be said that dependence upon a book is a dead or an artificial thing. The Reformation of the 16th century was founded upon the authority of the Bible, yet it set the world aflame. Dependence upon a word of man would be slavish, but dependence upon God's word is life. And that's what we're saying as we come to this final diagram. So this brings us to our final point tonight, the Bible and you. The foundational uh, truth that we're getting at tonight is this. God addresses people and relates to his people by his word. And so we need to think about the Bible and us, don't we? How are we responding to the words that God has given? Let me read a few examples from the Bible about how God deals with people through his word and how they respond. Genesis 15, verse 5, here's uh, God's dealings with Abraham. God took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited, credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham had faith in the word of God. In the New Testament, that word comes to us as a word about Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 4. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And how do we have that knowledge? As the word of God, the word of Jesus comes to us. 1 Peter 4 verse 11, um, really striking, I think, where Peter says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God as we speak the scriptures to one another. And then uh, finally, Luke 10, how you treat the word is how you treat God. Luke 10, Jesus says, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. How we treat the word of God has is a fundamental question for all of us today and has been a fundamental question for all of history. Are we humble and are we listening? These are the questions that I want to leave you with um, tonight. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Our Father, again, we thank you so much that you have been gracious and kind to reveal yourself to us in your words. Father, we didn't deserve to be addressed by you, the God of the universe, the one we've sinned against. And yet you want us to know you and you want us to be saved through the Lord Jesus. So Father, we thank you that the very act of you revealing yourself in the Bible is a, is a gracious act that we can rejoice in and be thankful for. And Father, as now we come um, to your words week after week, uh, Father, help us to have this attitude that wants to base our lives and our eternities on the words that you've spoken. 
Father, give us that craving for your word that we thought about this morning, a hunger for it, because we want a taste of your goodness again and again and again. Father, guard us against the devil's lies as well, the ways that he might want to knock us off course and take us away from the scriptures. And Father, give us a confidence in the truthfulness of your word that you've given to us. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.